you have your Bibles, I encourage them to take them and turn with me to the book of Exodus this morning as we continue on in our series, what I called Exit to Promise and Purpose. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11 as we look through this list of the Ten Commandments. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a delight to see you here. I'm glad that you didn't wear your pajamas either, your PJs that you are dressed. I want to thank you and many, many others for your faithfulness in staying engaged and tuned in uh, for the past several uh, weeks. Eleven weeks consecutively, we have um, been... Uh, unable to worship together apart from last week and the delight of being outside and it was a gift of God's grace but 11 weeks uh, I gathered here with a very very small group of people I want to thank especially Travis and Dan both of those guys who have uh, sacrificed so much if you see them thank them for their work each week I was here with Wendy and a small group of people to assist with security and lights and doors and locks and things of that nature. I do not remember who it was that asked me the question, but during that time they asked me, what is it that's the hardest part? What is it that I missed the most? And, and I have to say, um, it, was, it was our singing together, our time of worship in song together so just just this past few moments matt and, and angela and the others leading us thank you for ministering to hearts through the worship of song uh, look around you and we realize that um, this is a gift to us we had no idea that at a very quick moment that things could be so abrupt and change don't ever, ever, ever take for granted uh, the privilege that we have to worship and to fellowship together. Um, before all else, we just need to pray. Thank the Lord for a beautiful day. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we look into the Word of God this morning? <clears throat> Father, you are so good to us. and We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that we are not gathered here this morning to focus on ourselves, but to focus on you and you alone. I thank you already for the time of worship in song. Now as we prepare, Lord, to worship through the preaching of your word, I would pray, Lord, that you would help me and guide me. And We pray, Lord, for every person that hears this, that as it says in your word, he that has ears, let him hear that we would all pay attention to what you have for us. Uh, Father, we do pray right now for much of our country and our world as it is, uh, Lord, it's just inflamed and there's so much um, anger uh, and, and trouble and toil. I just pray, Lord, that um, you would bring a sense of calm and that people would hear of you and that we lord as the local church as your children would live in a way that offers hope in a hopeless world it offers love in a world that lacks 
Thank you for every person that's here. I, I, I thank you, Lord, for Sheila being here with us and for the way that you have watched over her through such difficult time of surgeries and pain. We thank you, Lord, for her being here as an encouragement to others. Father, right now I, I lift up dear um, baby Isabel, Don Letitia's granddaughter, born just a couple days ago and already facing open-heart surgery. We just cannot, cannot fully fathom the pain. Father, but you are the great physician and you've created each one of us as a gift. And I just pray, Lord, for dear little Isabel. Guide the surgeons and doctors and nurses. May you, Lord, in your will, please grant her to full strength and health. Father, I pray for your word that you would be glorified, you would be the center, and that you would speak and that we, your children, your servants, would hear. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We kind of need to back up a little bit by way of review in our series here in Exodus. Specifically, we started looking at the Ten Commandments. And if you recall so far, if I can kind of set the setting, the scene, it has been God from a distance in many ways, um, speaking to the nation Israel. But now in this setting on Mount Sinai, it's really, it's God up close. If you remember Israel, the nation Israel has, has all gathered. Moses is atop Mount Sinai and there's smoke and there's thunder and there's this trumpet blast. And it, it says in scripture that people are literally trembling. It says that the mountain itself is trembling. There's this booming voice from heaven, the voice of God, the Ten Commandments. And these are not the Ten Suggestions. These are, these are not up for debate. They're really not up for continued conversation on waiting for some correction along the way. Okay, that's not the case. This is the final draft. There's not going to be any edits that are made to it. They are complete. We learned the first four commandments teach us about how we show our love to God. That's, in a sense, the, the vertical relationship between us and God. And the final six commandments speak about what? Our love for our neighbors, our love for other people. That's the horizontal relationship. These are so important. Why? Because we live in a world that these things are desperately needed. The world struggles on how to do both, how to love God and love people. Last time we were together, by way of looking at Exodus 20, um, we saw the fact that the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. God is saying very clearly, listen to me. You cannot replace me with anything else. That we really need to examine our own life. Is there anything that we keep in front of or in place of God? Anything, even good things, can become an idol. God is saying you cannot replace me. Second commandment said you should not make a carved image or any likeness of me. God also says, listen to me, there's nothing that you could ever have out there that would ever represent me. Put away your tools from trying. There's no shape, there's no representation, there's no image, there's no picture, there's no painting by design. God is beyond that. Today we 
continue to focus on God and specifically we concentrate on his holiness with these two commands that are before us. We'll begin with Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. The third command says this. God said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Two points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. The Lord's name is holy. We need to treat it as such. So, so moments like this, days like this, times like this, passages like this, we step back and we literally examine the name of God as holy. Treat it as such. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now a quick glance, a quick reading of this, and most of you probably are familiar with this particular commandment. It's easy to mistake it we're thinking that it's only a linguistic matter. That, that don't take the name of the Lord that got in vain. It deals with cursing or profanity or swearing or our speech. So it's easy for people to think like, I don't, I don't really have a problem here. I don't have a, a, a potty mouth. I don't really use bad language. I don't use profanity. And so it's easy for us to kind of step back and say, you know what, it's all good I can just kind of take it easy this week. I can take a little bit of a break. I can stare at others who probably have some kind of a problem with the language that they use. And just check out. That's not the case here. Not, not entirely. Well, it certainly includes that. And we have to be careful with, with how we speak the name of the Lord. Be assured it's not limited. There's much more to it. Why is there more to it? Why is this? Because names are a big deal. Okay? Your name means something. Your name, my name, it actually matters. Our parents gave us thought. Gave our names thought. That's why they, when I was born, my, my dad was having his devotions in the book of 1 Timothy. My mom was having her devotions in the gospel of John. Somehow they put those two together like, hey, Tim, I was the third child. They're just running out of names. But hey, Timothy, John, that's how I got my name. I think that's kind of cool. And we think about that. Your parents gave thoughts. Why? Because names, in a sense, attach. When you, when you hear a particular name, it's not just the name, it's what's attached to it. Good, bad, or ugly, there are what? There are characteristics, there's traits that are attached when you hear a particular name. Washington, Lincoln, and we're just like, wow, that's like our, our the founding fathers and men of strength and men of voice and integrity. We think about that. Or there's other names that we hear, names that would be much darker. They're names to, to almost, like, do we even speak of them? Hitler. Stalin. We hear the name and what? There's something that's connected to that. Luther. Spurgeon. A great reformer. A great preacher. The prince of preachers. And there's words that are connected and character traits that are associated with. Jordan LeBron. Oh, the debate continues. I'll settle it. Jordan any day over LeBron. 
We hear what? Elvis the Kanye. So it is multiplied what? By a million when it comes to the name of God or the names of God. Do you realize how many names throughout the pages of Scripture God has that reveal what? His characteristics, his attributes. The Hebrew names, El Roi, the God who sees. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. El Amat, the God of truth. El Akkad, the one God. El Alam, the everlasting God. El Enyan, the most high God. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Nisi, the God our banner, the Lord our banner. There's so many names that are carried with such weight and significance when it comes to the name of God. We learned this earlier on in Exodus chapter 3. If you remember, when God himself is what? Is calling Moses to a very specific task. I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to lead my people out of bondage. Moses terrified. Moses slightly confused. Like, what, what, the first question, what do I tell them when they ask me, what is your name? Implying what? Moses is concerned. There's a thousand gods in Egypt. How do I distinguish you, the one true God, from the God of the Nile, from the sun God, from the frog God, from the fly God? You, you know it. You've heard this. We preached on this in Exodus chapter 3. God says what? You tell them, I am who I am. That's his name. This will reveal something. This will explain something. What? God is saying that my uniqueness is totally unique. My existence, my eternality, my independence from everyone and everything. My name will tell them, my name will show them I always was and I always will be. That there's no one like me. And this is important. Why? Because the worship of God is not like the worship of anything else. The worship of the one true God, Yahweh, cannot be compared to anyone, to anything else. So now in this context, when it, when it says, you shall not take the Lord your God, the name of the Lord your God in vain. That word take here does not mean simply to speak God's name. It means to carry. You take something, it means to carry or bear the name of God. That we are instructed when you take the name of God, we carry the name of God the right way. It means primarily that we are not to slander God theologically. That every single word that we speak of God, every word that we sing of God, ought to align with what we're told and taught in the word of God. It means that we are never to invoke the name of God where his word instructs us otherwise. And you're like, yeah, but I don't think I do that. No, 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 let's just back up for a moment. You ever hear someone say this? I just feel God leading me to fill in the blank. And whatever it is God is leading them, you, you know that, wait a minute, that doesn't align with God. The Lord's leading you to leave your spouse? Like, what is that? 
Lord is leading me to pursue something that is not affirmed or taught in the word of God. That's what, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Who's not leading you to, you feel led to do that and you want to bring the Lord's name in on this. We can do that in the words that we, we sing about, the songs that we sing. I'm a product of the 70s and the 80s. Think about some of the songs that we sang about God around the campfire. Give me wax for my board. Keep me surfing for the Lord. Really? Do Lord, do Lord, do you remember me? Like, wait a minute. This had some shine, Jesus shine. Like at some level here, there's the holiness of God that you cannot reduce to a mindless jingle. We have to be careful here. People, I trust like yourself, who have publicly declared what? I'm in. I believe. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I deserve eternal punishment and damnation. And yet, I know that God loved me, that he offered his son to pay for my sin. And so now I'm going to what? Put my life and my faith in the full finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be obedient to him. I want to live followers of him. We have declared ourselves publicly. You're gathered in public today. As followers of Jesus. That means we are to live in a way that exalts what? God's character. God's reputation. We are to live in a way that honors him. Why? Because we bear his name. Romans chapter 12, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, there's something to that name, will be saved. 1 John chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Acts chapter 4, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. In this idea of us, what, bearing the name and carrying the name of God the right way is telling us what? That the reputation of God is connected, is attached to the way that we who bear his name are choosing to live our lives. Therefore, we must give great thoughts, great care, great attention, take time. To think about how you live, the decisions you make every single day, the words that come out of your mouth. You're, you do your little, you do your little like social media. That better reflect the fact that you what declare and bear the name of God. Everything that we do, the way that we love and give and sacrifice. Ask yourself, do I take, read, take with me, do I take with me the name of the Lord rightly and correctly, or am I taking the name of the Lord in vain? First Corinthians says that we are, what, commissioned to live for God and for the glory of God in everything that we do, which means that we can actually take the name of God in vain, not only by the way that we talk, but by the way we walk. Are you living in accordance to the character 
of the name that you are proclaiming, that you follow. First Peter says what? Quotes Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 20. God says, be holy because I am holy. That holiness is reflected in decisions every single day. So you can take the name of the Lord in vain by way of you are what? You're not living in accordance to what God has called you to live. He says holiness. You're flipping through the TV and you stop somewhere. Is that holiness? No, I just keep going. I can't, I can't pause on that. The words that come out, does it reflect God's holiness? Proverbs in chapter 6, it says this. These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breeds out lies, one who sows discord among brothers. This is pretty strong language that God is actually saying, I, I abhor this, this is an abomination to me, I hate these things. Well then we better hate those things. We better not watch. We better not live like this. That's not reflecting what the character of the one that we're claiming to follow. As we pause today, and what a day to gather like this together to reflect on the holiness of God, to examine the very depths. My fear is, is that we literally take the, the name of God in vain not just with the words that we use but with the actions that we do and notice how this particular verse closes it says that the lord will not hold him or her guiltless if you're not held guiltless then that means that you are what you're held responsible you're held guilty i think about the fact that in romans 5 it says that we as followers of jesus have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that we have been declared righteous. If we, are, if we have been justified, if we have been declared righteous, how does God hold us guilty for something? In a sense, it's almost beginning to say, wait a minute, unbelievers who have not been declared righteous, unbelievers who have not put their faith in Jesus, are the ones that talk like this, that live like this. I think this is a reminder to say, wait a minute, if we continue to live and talk in a certain way, sure, we claim this, but we live, I think you have to examine the fact, have you even been justified? Have you even put your full faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it says right here that God will not hold him guiltless, which means that you're held guilty for that. What an opportunity, what a moment, what a day, what an hour. To consider, are we truly saved? Are we truly living as a reflection of the one that we're following? The Lord's name is holy. Treat it as such. Secondly, the Lord's day is holy. Treasure it as sacred. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Oh, really now? Th think just for a moment. If there is ever one commandment that we would say it is like totally outdated, it must be this one. It's like, it's, it's old-fashioned. I can see what bright flowered yellow wallpaper and green shag carpet all over this one right here. Like it's totally out of date. Sure, we get the no-killing part, the no-stealing part, we get the no-lying part. Those things make total sense. But this commandment here, it reeks of outdatedness, of ancientness. I can work when I want to work. I can rest when I want to rest. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. Stop right there. Stop right there. If you ever think, I can work what I want, I can stop. Stop right there because that is a really, really, really dangerous thing that one would say, that you would say. From the time you and I were placed into a crib, from the time that you and I were, were these little tiny, like, like squirmy, squishy little bundles wrapped up from the time that we are placed into a playpen. We have been placed in a place with four sides. Why? For a purpose to keep us safe. That's what cribs are for. With four walls. Why? Because you and I need to be fenced in. From the very, very beginning, we need, just as this commandment is designed to do, to give attention to what? To our loving Heavenly Father, who, what? who has a desire to keep us safe. He has a desire to love us and protect us. So he's going to tell us, he's going to teach us in his word, not only what our worship should look like, not only how we should worship, but God, in his, in his infinite love for us, in fencing us in, in protecting us, is also going to tell us when we should worship. This command is a gift of God's grace to us. It's interesting, I find that it begins with the word remember, which means what? Um, it implies that this is not new. Remember something, if you remember, you're, you're going to be held responsible because this is not the first time that you have been introduced to this before. You've heard of this. It's actually inferred right here in the particular verses that we read. It goes back to Genesis, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2 of the creation account. It is already well recognized as an intentional time, a season of God-ordained rest with the purpose of worship. Hold that thought and just sidestep just for a moment. 
you know what this is? This is actually a very, it's an excellent, simple response that certainly strengthens the six-day, literal, 24-hour-day creation that, that I believe that we as a church hold on to. Evening and morning were the first day. Evening and morning were the second day. Evening and morning were the third day. After six days, what? God's done and God rested. Why? Because he was exhausted? No, because he's modeling something for us. He's teaching us something that we need to know. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. All the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. On the seventh day, from all of his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. He set it apart because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, now think about what an evolutionist would say. Someone who believes in theistic evolution. God really, each day represents a million years or millions of years. And so over uh, millions of years... Wait a minute, just think practically for a moment, real time. How long can you go before you need a day off? Five days? I mean, we, we look forward to the weekends. We look forward to those days of rest, don't we? I know some people have busy schedules and sometimes like, yeah, I got, I got 10 days straight, I got 12 days, or I can work two weeks straight with no break. But eventually, what happens? We need a day off to rest to recoup, to recharge. According to what? Someone who believes in evolution, then technically speaking, you have to work six, what, million years before you get a day off. Yeah, but I, but I get a million years off after six million. No, 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 no. Evening and morning were a 24-hour day. You work six of them and you rest the seventh. You would be dead if you're going to hold to what, a theistic evolutionary approach of creation. Just a little side note. We are told what to remember that points us back to a specific time, I think in Genesis 1 and 2, but it also points us back to Exodus chapter 16. You aren't here, you are sitting in your living room with your pajamas on, but I was preaching in Exodus chapter 16 about manna that fell from heaven. And the instruction is what? Every single day, God will provide blessing for you. Go and pick it. Hold on to it. Every day you have to collect manna. But after six days of collecting manna, you will not collect it on the seventh day. On the sixth day, I want you to pick an extra amount to last for two days. What is God doing here? He's teaching us something. This is not the first time... That they're being introduced to this whole, what, work six days, rest the seventh. You've been told this. Remember this. And if you have been told this, you have a greater level of responsibility to be obedient. Why? Because you've heard it before. This isn't the first time. This is not, being, this is not God being legalistic. This is not loveless instruction. This is not graceless instruction. This is a gift that has been given to us by God because he loves you and he cares for you. We see this truth emphasized in the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 2. 
If you recall what? It was the Sabbath day, and as they were walking through the grain fields, it says that the disciples started to pick some grain and eat it. And the Pharisees, oh, just those joy robbers. Pharisees are like, look at your disciples, look what they're doing. They're breaking the Sabbath, they're working, they're picking grain. And Jesus' response is just piercing here. He silences them. And he makes two statements. He says, what, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says, what, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He, what, is declaring his deity. He's declaring his authority. That, that we are not here to worship the day itself. J.I. Packer writes in a great book, A Quest for Godliness, and in, in the book he quotes Matthew Henry, who spoke on this very verse. And he says this, and I quote, The Sabbath is a sacred and a divine institution, but we must receive and embrace it as a privilege and a benefit, not as a task and drudgery. First, God did not design it to be an imposition or a burden upon us, and therefore we must not make it so ourselves. Second, God did design it to be an advantage to us. An advantage for us. Did you get that part? Do you see that? Do you hear that? That one day, God says, is my day is set aside, the Sabbath day, a day of rest and worship, and it's here as a blessing to you. It's never to be a burden. Oh, it's Sunday. We've got to go to church again. No, I, I think you have realized the gift it is to worship together. And we know ultimately the greatest blessing Hebrews speaks of this, Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of that Sabbath rest as the Lord Jesus Christ, what, in his atonement fulfills for us, that Christ himself fulfills the Sabbath. So today we don't live under the law, we're not Sabbatarians, we don't go to church on Saturday, which is the Sabbath, we celebrate what? The resurrected Christ, the first day of the week we set aside. And we gather together to sing and worship of our risen Savior. What is so important here is, is to mark. This is not a time of, of focusing on what does not happen. It's a time to focus on what does happen. Primarily, Sabbath day is what? It is for worship. What do I do with this? What do you do with this? What do we together? See the Sabbath? It actually means action, not inaction. It's, it's not a day like to just, just completely turn off of complete idleness. It's not that day. It's not what a day of complete nothingness. It's not a day of laziness. It is a day of purposeful rest. Collect manna for six days. Well, on the seventh, this is a different day. Let me ask you this question. Do you do that? Like, do you set your schedule up to make sure that you are honoring this time that God has gifted to us? 
to purposely like change up the routine to be refreshed and and be recharged this is not a tedious burden it is a joyful joy filled privilege protect it no i'm sorry we can't do that on sunday because we need to what we need to to to, to rest we need to turn off from the craziness and the running so we can be faithful and obedient to honoring God and his holiness in his day. Protect that day. Second, see the Sabbath as a means of grace given to us. As a time to set apart our hearts. As a time that we schedule to set apart our, our minds and our bodies for what I would refer to as necessary worship. It is needed worship. Oh, how we have desperately missed corporate worship it's god's design for us to meet together why because we will not automatically you will not automatically tend towards god okay in and of yourself myself we will not automatically what lean into godliness to godly thinking the things of god the ways of god so what we have to intentionally pick a time mark it down and stick to it we're going to regularly what gather together to read the word of god we're going to regularly what set a time aside to pray together to listen to the preaching of the word of god to learn together to sing to worship and fellowship together why is this important let me give you a little hint you get weird alone you do a lot of time people have spent alone last couple months a lot of weirdness going on that's why god has designed us to be in fellowship together that's what this time is for remember the sabbath as god has intended it to be remembered and recognized and observed if we are to protect it we're also supposed to practice it we're to do this regularly couple things in closing number one is this preparation for that day is key preparation is key a, a moment to set aside preparing our hearts to receive the word of god i love the wisdom of the puritan richard baxter who says this in reference to saturday in preparing for worship on the lord's day on sunday he says this baxter and i quote go seasonably to bed that you may not be sleepy on the lord's day that's just good stuff like that that baby would preach right there which means what it's not like dragging yourself up i can't find my belt you know where my socks are i have no idea no no prepare for it so that when you are here what you are pouring into the lives of one another we're growing together and it's not going to happen by accident it's going to happen through preparation secondly public worship is necessary a central component to gathering together to focus all of our attention at the same time on one what is interesting and you'll hear me preach this all the time we're not here what for ourselves it's not why we gather 
We're actually gathering here to forget about ourselves and focus on the one. God can take better care of you than you could ever take care of yourself. Remember that. Public worship is necessary. I, I don't think we could say that with any more what clarity of understanding than over the last wilderness, the last season that we've just come through. We, we had our first official public gathering um, last Sunday outside, a beautiful day. I think the service began at, at 9 o'clock in the morning. I had no idea, but, but people, I heard, learned later, people were arriving at 7 o'clock in the morning. At 7 o'clock in the morning. Two hours before what? Because we get to be together. That's what, this is necessary. Thirdly, be on guard, okay? Don't allow the, the pitfalls of legalism to exist. Sometimes when it comes to the Sabbath day, it's like, you can't do that. You better not do that. It's the Lord's day. Let's be careful here. Avoid the pitfalls of legalism. This is not about robbing joy and stealing joy. Okay, that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like joy killers, joy robbers. That's not us. So let me just remind you that if you have a personal conviction, this is what we, we can do as a family, this is what we can't do as a family. And that's your, don't, don't try to press that and push that on someone else. We know what? It is to include rest and it is to include worship. That's where we have to focus. You, you see, the holiness of God matters. We've been reminded his name is unlike any other. The holiness of God matters. We've learned that his day is unlike any other. This is important. Why? Because it should take the attention and, and it should take it off of ourselves. It should draw the attention off of us and place it on God. Oh, oh that is so needed. That, that, just the focus on the Lord with the time and the mind that I have been given, the, the, the moments, the minutes, the, to take everything that I have, all of the energy, and focus it on the Lord. That is so needed in today's world. Let me conclude with this in 1 John chapter 5. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, listen to this, and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't it interesting that that's literally the words that the Apostle John uses when he describes the importance of obedience? This is not like, oh great, it's a heavy message. Well, wow, first Sunday back to church, and we've got to like really dial. No, no. This is not a burden. This is a blessing to us. See it as God's gift of grace so that we give attention to him, to his holiness, not on ourselves. And in doing that, oh, God has an amazing plan, purpose, and a promise for your life 
to be lived as he desires it to be lived. In a troublesome time that we are living in, oh, the needed attention that we need to be giving to God and to his holiness now more than ever before, and we admit we cannot do it. I cannot do it in our own strength, but we need the Lord. Bow our heads and pray and ask for that help to live in obedience to him. Father, we love you. I love you. I, I love your word that you've given to us and for these few moments to have together. I just pray, Lord, that, that we who have heard your message would give attention, would give heed to it. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the strength that we need through your spirit to live in full obedience and that we would reflect the holiness of God not just in our words, but in the way that we live our life, in the way that we fellowship, when we fellowship, how we worship. Father, we do pray, Lord, for the many, many, many that just do not have the hope. I pray, Lord, that we would speak of that hope, that they would ask us a reason of the hope that exists in our lives, and we can direct them to you, to your greatness, to your glory, to your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.